Thursday, April 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Brian Hinman, from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger, and from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Chief Investment Officer at the Motley Fool, Andy Cross. Full House Thursday. Packed. Good to see you guys. Thanks for being here. Love it. Intimidated. Uh, uh, apologies uh, in advance for my voice because the lovely spring weather, which has finally sprung here in D.C., means that pollen is everywhere and, and I'm just – my throat is killing me and I'm ready to rip out my eyes. But anyway, um, we're going to talk uh, Yum! Brands. We're going to talk J.C. Penny, which is back in the news yet again. But we're going to start with – what was that? Not Not it. <laughs> What was no that idea. A, a drive-by, I think. <laughs> wow! Did something like, just oh my god! That light studio? just popped up right there. You see oh, the fire? There's smoke. There's smoke. There's like smoke. Oh, oh. Wow. so we actually have smoke yeah. in the studio. Smoke in the so, studio. So uh, who knows uh, if if at some point barbecue's uh, on the <laughs> spark uh, the sprinklers go off, we'll. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we may cut this podcast short. Are there sprinklers in this room? Look, I love our dozens of listeners, but I'm going to be honest. If another thing explodes in this studio, we're yeah, out of here. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, shares of Microsoft down more than 4% this morning. Uh, kind of a double whammy, Matt. Uh, Goldman Sachs downgraded the stock to a sell. There was also a new report out from research firm IDC. Sales of PCs were down. I don't think anyone's shocked by that. Uh, but down in the first quarter, 14%. That's a pretty big drop. And they're basically placing the blame at the feet of Microsoft saying, it's Windows 8. It, it, it's the fault of Windows 8. Right. Um, what do you make of all this? this well, this was it, it was a 14% drop in, in PC sales, which I guess is the, the largest drop since they've IDC's kept records since 1994. Not very good for the PC market. And, of course, yeah, the blame is on Windows 8. You know, we, we saw back in October, shortly after Windows 8 came out, that Steven Sanofsky, who was head of Windows, left. Right. And it was kind of this weird, you know, Windows 8 had gotten mixed reviews, but it wasn't, there wasn't really much made of that. And it was kind of, you know, but I, I viewed it as a time as a little bit of a canary in the coal mine, you know, th- that maybe the software wasn't living up to the expectations, and maybe that's exactly what's happening. But I think there's something interesting going on here, you know. If we go back to the old days, like seven or eight years ago, you know, it was always like uh, the kind of the software led the hardware. So in other words, game makers, software makers were coming, would come out with new software, and the hardware would try to really hard to catch up. And I feel like nowadays, it's not. The hardware is out there. People know what they want. The platforms are there. And the software is kind of just, you know, they're building the apps for the hardware. Uh, I mean, I remember when I was, was like, when I was a kid, I mean, every few years I wanted a new computer because... You know, the games and, and all the, the software was getting so much more sophisticated. I always had to feel like I needed to buy, upgrade my hardware. And that is just not happening these days. It's kind of an interesting switch that's happened. Yeah, that if, the, if most of the development is happening more on the software and the application side, you don't need to necessarily buy a computer every, you know, you know year or two years or your cycle, you know, c- because the computing power is so good. Right. And I think Microsoft saw that when a lot of people upgraded last year and they just aren't going to upgrade here soon, even with Windows 8 out. Chris, so a lot of concern that they're, that the PC market is just continuing to soften, and we know it has soft, but it continues to soften and just uh, not good for for Microsoft. Uh, uh, you know, the stock, the company does generate a tremendous amount of cash. So, mm. so from the valuation perspective, the stock has always looked reasonably, you know, cheap, but um, and today getting cheaper. Chris, I think one of the unexpected outcomes of uh, the financial crisis was that so many companies put off spending on everything. Uh, for a long time. Uh, and what they realized is, hey, we were normally on a three-year computer upgrade cycle. We didn't die by not upgrading when we were supposed to. Right. We can probably get away with not upgrading as frequently as historically we had. And so that's sort of 
working its way through the system right now and, and having a, a pretty dramatic impact on PC sales. As shares of Hewlett-Packard also down this morning uh, more than 5% when we came in the studio, so not a shock there. Um, but, Matt, I want to go back back to this report. It, it, it seems uh, a little harsh to sort of put all the blame at the, at the feet of Microsoft, as IDC seems to be doing, um, but sort of when you look more broadly at Microsoft and its businesses, I feel like they've got a couple other irons in the fire. Oh, sure. uh, certainly Xbox. Uh, I, I don't know how big that can get for them. Um, but for all the talk of Apple TV, it seems like Microsoft uh, is certainly making a play, at least on the gaming side. Right. Well, there's that division, which which has been very successful. I mean, they, it's it's kind of the most underrated entertainment development that ever happened. And Microsoft essentially 10 years ago didn't have a gaming console or anything like that, any, any presence in the entertainment space. And they built this multi-billion dollar business, a business that took Sony, Nintendo, and other players decades to build. And Microsoft built it in under 10 years. It's really impressive. But Microsoft is also, it's also about Office. I mean, they still have more than 90% market share in that, despite Google Docs and some of the other uh, competition out there. Their service and tool business delivers billions of dollars every year. It competes with Oracle and IBM. This is not, no by no means a fly-by-net company. It's got $60 billion net cash out there. Uh, any any valuation you can apply to Microsoft, it looks very very cheap. Uh, so Goldman Sachs with the sell ratings harsh. I, I, I think it's way too harsh. In this I case. mean, they do have a branding issue. Microsoft right now. I mean, the Surface is out. Their, their, their tablet, the Surface, is out there. I know we have at least one loyal user here in the office. In yes, Seth one, <laughs> um, maybe more, but but one that we know that I know of um, who loves it. Um, and they have this new commercial out. The Surface. Have you seen the new Surface commercial with the dancing people in the, yeah. in, the in the boardroom? So they have a brand issue that they're trying to rectify. But Microsoft right now is seen as a little bit of a lumbering giant compared to some of the more innovative upstart companies, even fellow large multi-billion dollar companies like Google. Yeah, Chris, I, I, to your to your point, I agree with you. I'd be much more worried if I was a shareholder of Hewlett Packard or Dell who are m- more focused on the PC segment than Microsoft is. You know, the, part of the reason PC sales are down so much is because uh, of the popularity of cell phones and tablets. Yeah. And Microsoft plays in both of those realms in addition to its gaming division. So. And by the way, the move to take Dell private, th- this can't help. When a report <laughs> comes out that says the PC sales are, are essentially cratering, I mean, someone on CNBC this morning compared this number to the same store sales number uh, that J.C. Penney had, where their where their same store sales dropped thirty two percent or whatever like bad. that. Well, and there's a reason why Dell wants to become more known as a consulting business, you know, than really uh, in, a, in a PC vendor. An outbreak of the bird flu in China is making people nervous about, uh, well, birds, uh, and specifically <laughs> chicken. Um, and shares of Yum! Brands were down pre-market. They've since rebounded, Andy. They were up slightly when we came in the studio today. But uh, you follow that business a lot more closely than I do. Uh, therefore, uh, you were probably not surprised. You probably already knew this. I didn't realize that China accounts for half, more than half oh, of yeah. Yum! sales. That, higher on the profit side, even higher on the profit. That that seems so. like um, that seems like a legitimate threat. Yeah. Why why is the stock not cratering? Well, it's interesting because Chris um, Yum is a large player in the Chinese space when it comes to 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 restaurants. I mean, they all their business, not all, but a majority of their business is in China, and they talk about brand problems. They've just had continually 
troubling um, news come out of of with their with KFC and the chicken inspectors with their chicken suppliers the the the, um, the the amount of antibodies that their chicken suppliers are using and just concerns and they've seen the continually eroding same store sales over the last few months so I think investors may be thinking of this of which I am not one I don't own yum yum uh, shares though we follow it here at, at the fool um, are thinking okay listen this is one month um, they have this issue it is it is not going to last forever. This may be the case, may, Chris, may be the case of investors looking out further than just a month or two of results. Shocking as it may be. That is shocking. It may be thinking avian flu is not going to wreck this business long term, and therefore the pricing as it dropped this morning may have been a chance to to add some shares at a good price. I think, too, this is a problem that investors have seen before. This isn't the first bird flu outbreak that uh, you know has shown up on people's radar, and so we have investors have in the back of their minds that hey, this has happened before and it worked out okay. So you know we'll just accept this hiccup for what it is, and you know. And Yum, by the way, eleven straight years of double-digit profit growth. I mean, that's that's an impressive streak for, for any company uh, in the world, especially one of Yum's size. Yeah. Uh, and of course, part of it is well, maybe that streak's broken now with the bad news. But hey, I was just going to say, I mean, it, is is that streak now over? I mean, I, I realize we're not at the end of the fiscal year for them, but it seems like at least that streak is in danger. I would have to say so. I mean, anytime your same store sales in one month go down, what was it, 13%? Yeah, 13%. Uh, that, that's a mighty big hurdle, first yeah. quarter hurdle to get over, and then you know, you'd have to have a pretty big rebound the rest of the year to... to to get your profits now, back and, where they were, but yeah, and Matt, analysts were expecting a, they were expecting a drop, so they knew like there were issues out there. This was a little bit higher than what they expected. So the news has been somewhat baked in here. Um, if you're going to be investing in China, um, and Ch- as we know, it's been it's been tough to own shares that are tied directly to China. Investors have not done that well over the past couple of years. Yum is an interesting way to do that because it is a multinational. It is a, it's a, it is a U.S. based company that does most of its business over in China. So for investors looking to benefit from a kind of rebounding Chinese economy, if it is rebounding, this could be an interesting way to play it, and the stock drop could offer you a price at uh, that's that's more reasonable than, than what it was before. So at a more reasonable multiple than a high-growth company like Yum tri- typically trades at. Um, obviously, they're succeeding in the largest market in the world. Are they looking to expand even beyond that? Is... is is Yum looking to expand? I have no idea how big their presence is in Europe, in India, um, Africa. I have I have no idea if they're looking to expand. But it, it seems like, you know, maybe expansion is not priority one, and instead it's just sort of getting their chicken house in order in China. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they certainly have to do that with their with their um, with their suppliers, and and obviously this with this um, the, the risk of avian flu here. It is interesting because. Um, the owner AFC Enterprises, the owner of um, of Popeyes, Popeyes chicken, of Popeyes yeah. chicken, which has done very well, they're expanding into Latin America because of the Latin American um, consumers' taste for spicy chicken, chicken in particular. So there is a market for kind of American-based food around the world. So it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me as Yum kind of thinks about China, huge market, but there's appetite right. for this kind of food elsewhere. Yeah. Chris Yum was very. Uh very ahead of the curve in terms of translating their brands uh, into emerging markets, and so I have I have no doubt that that they are going to continue to do that and do it well. You were saying before we started taping that in China there are people who get married at Pizza Hut. <laughs> I'm just wondering, uh, have you been to China before? 
I have not. Well, it, you got married in. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, maybe, maybe you and your lovely wife. Maybe a vow renewal is in order. Vows. Just I'm, something to keep in mind next time. I'm sure that would, that would fly well with her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it would. Uh, Bill Ackman in the news once again. Uh, he is the activist investor who is the single largest shareholder of JCPenney's stock, owns about 18%. Nope. He's the guy who pushed for Ron Johnson to be C- uh, CEO, and he, and he very publicly backed him. Uh, now that Ron Johnson has been fired by the other members of the board, Ackman made his first public comments, and as you might imagine, he made them in women's wear daily. Um, naturally. Naturally, uh, the trade publication. Uh, and in talking about J.C. Penney, he said, and I'm quoting here, we're not going anywhere. In fact, we're going the other direction. We're digging in. Uh, Brian, when Ron Johnson was shown the door, one of the things we talked about here in the office was this was other members of the board essentially slapping Bill Ackman in the face and saying, we don't care that you're on the board. We don't care that you're the single largest shareholder. Your guy is out of here. Yep. And uh, their replacement CEO was also a slap in the face because they brought back the guy who he was bad-mouthing beforehand, right. saying this guy needs to go. He's running the company into the ground. This company needs to do something different. Uh, so, yeah, so Ackman made these comments. You know, I, I'm not going anywhere. I'm digging in. We don't know what that means. We don't know if that means he's buying more shares or if it just means I'm not selling my shares right now. Uh, I want to say that I don't really believe him. All I think that he's doing is trying to buoy his 18% stake. I mean, he's got showing a paper loss of $500 million right now. Uh, and so he is probably just trying trying to ride this until calmer waters, at which point, uh, you know, he is going is going to leave. He has no pull anymore on the board. Uh, they're not, you know, the other board members are not going to listen to him. So at this point, he's a passive investor. That's not his game. Uh, and he's now basically, uh, you know, in bed with with Allman, who he, you know, slapped around. Who he kicked out to- of the bed the last exactly, time around. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think there's also an element of this where, you know, JCPenney is now, uh, there are some fears that this company is going to go bankrupt. I mean, it is, uh, in some, f- in, in some financial duress, uh, they lost a billion dollars last year. They've been spending like sailors. They have three billion in debt. Uh, they got S&P downgraded, uh, their, their bond rating not too long ago. Uh, CIT, this went pretty under the radar, but CIT, who lends to, um, small, uh, clothers that sell into, uh, JCPenney, uh, increased the cost of lending for customers who sell to JCPenney because JCPenney wasn't paying their bills. So there, there's a lot going on right now at JCPenney that suggests that they're in some financial difficulties. And so Ackman is probably saying, Hey, I'm sticking around. Maybe I'll give you, you know, uh, maybe I'll be a source for cash if you really need it, but I just don't believe him. This is a guy who got to be a billionaire not by demonstrating amazing investing prowess in retail. This was real estate, right? Yeah, he's uh, he's he's generally found real estate gems. Uh, you know, his biggest investment was probably general growth properties, which um, you know we're, we're talking mall retail here, but it was in distress when he bought it and he made a ton of money. 
that's one of the things that he liked about J.C. Penney was that there was this under there's underlying real estate there, but it's just not at all clear that they're going to be able to monetize that real estate. And there are so many of those uh, locations that are just in lousy mid-tier malls that don't have that much value. Uh, he's been in in J.C. Penney and pounding the table for a long time now, and we haven't seen any action on the real estate front. The, you know, his partner in crime just left the guy from Vornado, uh, who presumably was also involved because of the real estate angle. So I just feel that part of his thesis is totally weakened. He has lost his, you know, his, his, his taxi driver. Uh, so now he's just a passive investor and there doesn't appear to be any real estate monetization. In the but future. Brian, really, what, what, what is $500 million among friends? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not, it's not all his. It's, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is not it. all his. And it's, <laughs> it's basically, it's half what JCPenney lost last year, you know, right. net income. And your, your point is very interesting, Brian, and it's correct is that, um, JP, JCPenney spends, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on CapEx every year. You look at the, your operating profits minus that CapEx against their interest expense, and you start to run very thin there. So the risk that one reason why the crediting down, the downgrades have happened to the credit, to the, to the bonds, you really do run some risk that things could be very tight for JCPenney oh, yeah. if things continue to worsen as they have. I think that one of the reasons they brought in Ullman was because they had to, they need to stabilize this ship fast and they don't have the time to train someone who's not familiar with the situation to start yep. making changes they needed to someone who could hit the ground running and really there was only one person yep we've said plenty of times that investors should never just blindly follow any one person even if that person is warren buffett now the fact that warren buffett is loading up on a stock that may be a factor you take into consideration, but it's not. You shouldn't just buy it just because Buffett bought it. You shouldn't just buy, obviously, shares of J.C. Penney just because billionaire activist investor Bill Ackman has. But I am curious if there are people out there that uh, you guys follow, whether it's commentators or investors, and what what is it about them that um, that makes you as an investor? give their opinion some weight. And I'll just say as one example that I wasn't really all that familiar with David Einhorn, uh, also an activist investor. But when I went through his PowerPoint presentation of Green Mountain Coffee Roasters that he did about a year and a half ago, his his sort of case for shorting it, again, not really knowing Einhorn, not knowing his track record, the research that was in that PowerPoint that impressed me, and that that's that's one of those things where I give Einhorn a little bit more weight. I don't, you know, I, I don't think I've invested in anything he's been pro or con on, but um, but I just give him weight because I've seen the research that he's done, and mm-hmm. I, I you know, so just the notion that he's going out and buying that doesn't mean anything. But I'm curious if if you guys have those people in your investing life, mostly just Andy Cross. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. That was Brian, good, right? I need to talk to you about so your raise. Mind. Yes. Well your raise that you're due here in a, in a <laughs> so, half so, an hour. Chris, uh, I like to follow people who run concentrated portfolios. And what that means is basically they put a lot of money behind each idea. And so I'll give you two mutual fund managers that uh, run concentrated portfolios and that most people probably couldn't, uh, haven't heard of. Um, so I'll say the, the Cook and Bynum Fund, it's run by two guys, Cook and Bynum, uh, and also Frank Martin. Um, and I, he just opened up a fund. Uh, it's probably called like Martin Capital Management Fund or something like that. And I'll just say, you know, we talk about the, the framework, the innovators, uh, the uh, 
what was the second one? The imitators and the idiots. Right. And that, that goes just for managers as well. And I would put Einhorn sort of in those in that innovator category, whereas some others I'd put certainly in the imitators and idiots category. <laughs> but one and one man, but one manager I do follow. Um, he's actually the CEO of an insurance company that I follow called Allegheny Tickers. Just why? Uh, his name's Weston Hicks, and they have really a great long-term track record at Allegheny Investing. And so I'm always, every time, every quarter when the 13F comes out and I see what moves Allegheny and Weston Hicks are making, I, I pay attention. You know, it's funny, Chris, is that uh, there are two sides to every trade, and we saw this in the, in the, um, in, uh, the Herbalife which I think is also Ackman, yep. right? So the Herbalife. Ackman is he now has sh- short, several black is eyes. shorting it, and Carl Icahn <laughs> is, long, is, is yeah. But the huge debate we saw on CNBC. So yeah. so the hubris and the lack of hubris is just a great quality, I think, for an investor and, and many investors. And you have to have a lot of some hubris to be an investor because you're basically saying, I'm right on this stock and the rest of the market is essentially wrong or this stock. Or certainly the person on the other side of this trade is wrong. Is wrong, exactly. And that's essentially what you do, you know, when you buy stocks. Um, that's why I like some place like Caps on Fool.com and, you know, not to punt on the, on your question, Chris, but yeah. there are so many great investors and business thinkers out there in our, in, in our community that if you go to caps.fool.com, which I spend a lot of time on, just following what other people are saying, Two people in this room, um, Chris. I, I, sorry, I don't follow you on on caps. And, you know, <laughs> Nor should but you. Brian and, and Natty, <laughs> especially. Um, I, I just think you can get a wealth of knowledge, and you get a lot of divergent opinions. And that's the one thing I love about an open community like that that you don't get when you just hear someone like, you know, Ackman on CNBC or one investors, one investors take even a a, a hundred point PowerPoint presentation, right. which I think Ackman also did the whole thing on Taco Bell, right, too? Wasn't that? Well, Ackman's presentation on Herbalife was three hours long. and Yeah. I mean, anyway. So there's just like, just just knowing that divergent opinions, I think, are very healthy and, and having that in an open community is where you can best find those. I should mention CAPS is a free site uh, that we run at The Motley Fool, yeah. caps.fool.com. And uh, and you're right. It, it, it is. I, I find CAPS is... Uh, I, I I refer to it as a, just a great second opinion. Yep. Just as you you know you you want a second opinion uh, after you talk to your doctor, someone's going to recommend a stock or you read a research report. Caps is a great way to very quickly, to your point, to very quickly get a range of opinions, including Wall Street firms, because yep. we also track sort of the the Wall Street firms and what they're doing. Yeah, and then I mean just to, to a specific answer to your question, a guy like Preston Athey is retiring from the T Rowe Price Small Cap Fund, which we've small cap value fund, which who we've had here in the office, his average turnover is like single digits, which is just amazing for really? for mutual fund managers. It is so low. He's had some positions for 25 years, a company that Maddie and I both follow, Raven Industries. He's held that company, I think, for more than 20 years. And that's just unheard of in the mutual totally, fund totally in, in industry. And he's just a great business long-term thinker, and I really respect that. So um, a gentleman like that, and, and, and they are out there although they are rare to find. And, and we, we yeah, it's easier to find the, um, the, the people with hubris on CNBC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andy Cross, Matt Argusing, and Brian Hunnick. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Monocle may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.